If you read Psalm 40 over this last week, which hopefully you did, uh, you'll see that it is a psalm that, that talks about deliverance. And that's the, the title of our message this morning is the, the search for deliverance. And so I'm going to just read through this psalm and then we'll, we'll get into the details of it. So Psalm 40. I'm going to read the, the title too. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and a sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the, in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for working through David in his life and his many experiences to give us an example of what it looks like to, to hold out hope for you in any and every situation. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who delivers. We thank you that you are a God who hears and who thinks of us and shows us mercy. Lord, I pray that as we look more carefully at this psalm, that you would inspire our hearts, help us to, um, help us to, to turn to you and you alone for our needs in this life. And Lord, we confess and proclaim that you are our deliverer. And we thank you for all that you do for us and in us. Help us this morning. Help me to, to speak clearly. And I pray, Spirit, that you would use this time 
to bring glory to the Father and to bring comfort and change to our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. This is a, a great psalm, and as I've said, the, the title of the sermon is The Search for Deliverance. And there's, there's two things that, that we as humans um, tend to think of when we think of deliverance. Number one, we want deliverance from things, right? We don't necessarily want deliverance through things. We want to be saved from. We want to be taken from the bad situation. Meaning, we just want it gone. We don't want to deal with it. We want to be delivered from anything that causes us any type of stress in our life. Right? Or am I the only one? No. Probably not. And, you know, but that is, that is such a, a common desire for us as human beings is to just say, God, take this away or get me out of this situation. Deliver me, Lord. And, you know, I have to say, sometimes he does that, right? I mean, sometimes that problem is just gone. Sometimes that situation is miraculously over. But a lot of the time, you continue to go through whatever it is you're going through. So how can God deliver in that situation? Has he delivered? Well, most certainly. Because the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is that what God normally does in our lives is deliver us through situations. He is there with us, upholding us, giving us strength bringing us through hard times, hopefully to himself, hopefully to a greater understanding of how we need to change our own lives to become more like him. You know, and that's not the typical way that we think of deliverance. Typically, we just want relief. The other thing about deliverance that, that we tend to think about is we want it now, right? Now. When do I want to be out of this situation? Hmm, in five years or now? Now. And again, it's interesting and humbling when you read through the Bible and you see that, that many times these hard situations that people are in and God is promising, hey, I'm going to deliver you. They last for a while. It could be days. It could be weeks. It could be months. It could be years. It could be a lifetime. Paul prayed fervently that God would take away this thorn that he had in the flesh. And yet, to our knowledge, it never went away. And yet, I bet if you talked to Paul and said, hey, Paul, did God deliver you from that? I bet he would say yes. Meaning that he shielded him and helped him through whatever situation that was. Talking about movies is, is always kind of a dangerous thing in a sermon, but um, has anybody seen the movie Castaway? I hope I'm not the only one. Yay, some have. Okay, so movie Castaway. 
Um, it's Tom Hanks, and it's back in the year uh, 2000. And the, the first scene of that movie, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Tom Hanks' character works for FedEx, and it starts out with a FedEx package being delivered. And it, like, there's a camera on the package, and you see it going through all the little you know, sorting facilities and all this stuff, and then it goes out with somebody to be delivered, and you see him making other deliveries. And then finally, that package makes its way to Tom Hanks, who is at a FedEx uh, facility in Russia, and he opens the box, and inside is a timer, and he stops the timer. And he's given a pep talk to the people there in the FedEx facility, and, and the timer says 88 hours. And he goes into this whole spiel about how uh, it took 88 hours for that package to get from Memphis in America to wherever they are in Russia. And you know what he says about that 88 hours? Is he happy with it, you think? No? I see some of you shaking your head. Some of you are thinking, oh, well, 88 hours from here to Russia? I don't know. Is that good? Basically, he, he looks at these people and he goes, 88 hours is a shameful outrage. This should not happen. It should not take 88 hours to do this. And he goes off into this whole rant. And you think, well, actually, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, that it got from Memphis all the way to, to Russia in 88 hours. And yet, what's the point? He's saying, it's not fast enough. It has to come faster. And isn't that the way that we like things? So I ordered some books for the graduates and stuff. And guess what? One day shipping. Amazing. I click it. Next day it's there. And yet, like, the next day, as I'm waiting for the package, I'm going, when's that going to get there? When's it going to come? <laughs> you know, like, when? come on, they said one day shipping. Seriously? You know, but that's the, the human condition is we, we want things and we want them now. And, and when it comes to God's deliverance, unfortunately, that's the attitude that we bring to it now, right now. I, where's my one day deliverance button? Let me click it. Did it go? I don't know. Click, 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 click. You know, we want things now. We want deliverance now from all of our problems. And the temptation is for us to, to, to look at our lives. And if anything is going wrong, to think, oh, God, he doesn't care. He's not with me. He's not working. Like, God, where are you? And yet, we have this psalm by, written by David, who, when you look at his life, you see... Um, a continual need for deliverance in different situations. And we don't know the exact um, circumstance for this psalm, but it's pretty clear when, when you look at the first uh, several verses that, that David was in, a, he was in a tough spot, and God delivered him. So let's, let's look here. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. 
Now, um, again, we don't know the exact circumstances that, that David was in, but we know from the life of David that he had some pretty bad things happen to him, and he did some pretty bad things. And this could be any one of those situations. And it's interesting when, when you look at this, the first phrase there says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. That phrase, I waited patiently, is literally means I waited and while I was waiting, I waited. <laughs> while I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Can you identify with that? Basically, what it means is the deliverance of the situation didn't come right away. And it was something that he was longing for. He wanted. And, and as he was anxiously waiting, it's like, oh, he couldn't wait for that deliverance to come. And he had good reason, right? If you look at it, um, he describes the situation as he's in the pit of destruction. He's in a miry bog. And there's a couple other stories from the Bible that, that kind of strike my mind when I think of being down in a pit. Uh, Joseph, if you remember from Genesis 37, uh, Joseph was out, brought stuff to his brothers. His brothers hated him, and they're like, oh, here comes that goody two-shoes Joseph. We're going to show him who's boss. And, and they throw him into a pit, and he's just waiting there. And he's like, man, what's going on? You know, my brothers obviously aren't too happy with me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm down here in this pit, and I'm just waiting. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and all, the, all the fear and all the dread that he must have been feeling, because his brothers hated him, and there was no telling what they were going to do. There's another... Um, account of, of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was uh, alive during the, the siege of the city of Jerusalem. And at one point, uh, some people got upset with Jeremiah for telling the truth about what was going to happen. And they throw him into a pit, into a cistern. And it talks about how in the bottom of this uh, water cistern that's empty of water, but has all this sediment and mud and mire and muck down at the bottom of it, and they throw him in there, and he's just helpless. He's stuck. He can't move. You know, there's no way to get out, and it's cold, and it's dank, and it's nasty. And he's down in a pit. And I don't know, you know, what situation you find yourself in, but maybe that describes some things in your life right now. You know, you, you're just, you feel stuck. There's one time at a, a church family camp a long time ago where we were at Rife Lake, and that's a reservoir, and the reservoir was, was far down, and I had the pleasure of finding some good mud. I was a kid, <laughs> and, and I thought, this is great, and so I'm out there in this mud and, you know, kind of tromping through it, and then I'm like, oh, wait, I can't move. <laughs> You know, and, and it was this type of mud that just like sucks you in and suctions to you. And, and that, that feeling of like trying to get out but not being able to move is kind of scary. And it's, 
you know, we, we have situations in our life where we feel like we're just down in a pit and stuck. But here's the encouraging thing. As David is waiting in this situation, whatever it is, what happens? Look at verse 1. The Lord inclined to me and he heard my cry. So even though David was feeling helpless down in the pit, down in the muck, what happened? The Lord heard. And when it says that, that he was inclined, it means that he was moved towards David. And the result of this is that even in, in the pit of despair, even in the miry bog, the Lord heard and the Lord acted and he pulled him out and he sets him on solid ground. End of verse two. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. As a result of this deliverance, two things happen. Number one, David becomes an evangelist. That's the way one of the commentaries that I, I was reading explained it. Because what does he do? He's got a new song in his mouth, a song of praise to our Lord. So he's going around and he's singing the praises of God, what he has done as a result of this deliverance. And the other thing is that at the end of verse 3, we see as a result of all of this, here's the cool thing. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. As a result of the deliverance that David has experienced, God is going to use that situation to bring many to himself. And to bring glory to himself. And if nothing else, that's reason to go through hard times. And that's reason to be uh, okay with waiting wherever you are. Because ultimately, um, in those situations, we can bring praise and glory to God. And people can hear and see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Because... Of how, the God, of how God has dealt with you. Of the different situations that you've been in. So when you think, well, this stinks. And then whatever that situation is, you know, God leads you through it. And afterwards you go, well, what was that for? Well, I'll tell you what it's for. It's to show faithfulness of God. And it's to inspire you to sing a song of praise to him. Tell other people so that they can turn and worship the Lord. Is there a point to our suffering, to the hard times? Absolutely. That's how God gets his name out there among the people. And so these first couple verses show this instance of deliverance in David's life. And here's verse 4, I think, is kind of the, the key to this whole psalm. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. If I had to say which verse I think is, is kind of the, the focal point of this, I think it's this. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. In other words, who are you going to look to? When you're in a bad situation, when you need deliverance, who do you look to? 
Now, if you're LeVar Burton, reading Rainbow, anyone, maybe? There's a show that I used to watch as a kid called Reading Rainbow, and LeVar Burton, the host, at the end of it would always say, if you want to believe in someone, believe in yourself. It was a feel-good message at the end of this kid's show, and I remember distinctly, I don't know when this happened, but this is something I'm thankful for uh, in regards to my father on Father's Day, because I remember him saying, Ryan, that's dumb. <laughs> or, or something to that effect. If you want to believe in someone, believe in yourself. Well, what can you do? You're the one who's in the situation. You're the one who's in the muck. You're the one who's stuck in the mire. Well, believe in yourself. All right, I believe, and I struggle, and I sink deeper. You need someone else, someone outside of you to help. And the only one qualified is God. So it's not blessed who makes, blessed is the man who makes himself his trust. It's blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. I mean, that's where you're going to find help. That's where you're going to find deliverance. And that's what this whole psalm is about. Moving on to, to verse 5, uh, it says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And this is just a, a declaration of who God is. He has, he cares for us. And he, if we are in close relationship with him, we see his hand in everything. His deeds are all around us. They're, they're mighty deeds. Maybe it's not, you know, literally being delivered from out of a pit, but maybe it's just, you know, at the right time, you start pay atten paying attention to your driving just in time to see this guy run through the red light. You know, and we go, oh, whoa. That was lucky. No, it wasn't. That was God. You know, like, there's so many little things like that, and there's so many big things in our lives. And, and the thing is, all of these wondrous deeds and all of this, this deliverance and help is from the Lord for those who follow him, for those who put their trust and their faith in him. He loves you. He cares about you. And, and David's saying, I'm going to proclaim and tell of these things, and man, there's just there's more than I can even say. And is that your attitude? You know, how thankful are you? Mm -hmm. Kind of thankful. What's God been doing in your life? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, too often, like, that's my attitude. And then I read this and I go, oh, well, that's a bad attitude, Ryan. <laughs> you know, I should be thankful. I should be looking for all of these wondrous deeds that the Lord does. And here's something cool. The Lord does all of these deeds. He delivers people. And what do we owe him? I mean, we've we got to pay, right? I mean, we pay for everything in life. We get a service, we pay for it, right? So God delivers us from things we gotta, we got to pay, right? 
Well, actually, no. Verse 6. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering, you have not required. You see, there's a temptation to want to, to try and force God into doing what we want. I've been going to church for a long time, God. I've been serving you. So I think I kind of deserve this. Right? You know, we kind of unfortunately think that way, but no. The salvation, the deliverance that, that David experiences is not based on the fact that he has given his offerings dutifully for the last however many years. Sacrifice and offering, you don't, you haven't delighted in those things. You just, you've given me your ear. So what does he want if it's not sacrifices, if it's not offerings, burn offerings and sin offerings? Well, he wants your heart. That's it. He wants you to love him. He wants you to appreciate him. Go on to verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. And this is kind of a tricky thing, but what... I think David is trying to point out is that it's not the actual doing of the sacrifices and the things that God wants. It's the heart. And David, do you really love God? Yeah? Well, awesome. Then I've got your back. But David, are you just going through the motions trying to finagle some sort of a blessing or some sort of deliverance? Well, that's not the right attitude. We don't quite know in verse 7, it says, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. Don't quite know exactly what that's talking about. Some people think that it's referring back to the first five books of the Bible and just what it says about the king and how the king should have a heart that longs after God. Um, and And... You know, some people see this as David saying all those positive things about a king that they were supposed to do, that's what I'm attempting to do right now. I'm attempting to love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not only that, but the things that, that you want are, are written in my heart. If you look in verse 8, I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. It's not that it's like, okay, here's this list of things that I have to do. Check, check, check. I don't really want to do this. But it's no like, oh, yeah, I see these things, and I love them, and I want to do them. Yeah. Well, I suppose I'm a Christian. I, I guess I have to be kind to this guy. That's not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants someone who is going, man, after all God has done for me, and, and thinking about him shedding the blood of his very own son for me on my behalf, I want to show that same mercy and kindness to other people. I would love to, not, mm, because I have to. I'm a Christian. No, that's not it. It's interesting, too, that um, these 
verses here, verses, um, verses six through eight are, are quoted in Hebrews. When uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, it's talking about Christ and his sacrifice. Um, and Hebrews 10, verse four through 10 says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, the, the thing is, back when David was writing this and saying, you don't delight in sacrifice and offering, the other aspect of it is no matter what offering David gave, it wasn't good enough. But Jesus, when he came and lived a perfect life and offered up his body, as a sacrifice, that was good enough. And, and so Hebrews harkens back to this and says, hey, remember how David said, you don't delight in this stuff? Well, I'm the one, Jesus is the one whose sacrifice he does delight in. And because of his sacrifice, you are accepted. You are his. Through faith in him, you don't have to worry about those sacrifices anymore. Again, because Jesus is it. And all he wants is your heart and your desire. Well, he goes on, and uh, this is a, a great portion of this psalm in verses 9 and 10. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. Basically, what, what David is saying is, look, I've experienced your deliverance, your love. I know that it's, that it's amazing. I know that I can't work for it. And I'm going to proclaim it to everybody. I'm going to talk about what you've done in my life in the congregation. Now, this is talking about when all of Israel is gathered together and David up in front of them, he's not going to sit there and bore them with the new tax laws. He's going to say, hey, guys, we serve an amazing God. And let me tell you what he's done. He's going to declare his praises to everyone. He's going to speak of his faithfulness and salvation. He's not going to hide what God has done He's going to proclaim it. And this is one of the great privileges that we have as believers is to gather together and to proclaim who God is and what he's done together as a congregation. Isn't that awesome? It don't sound like it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah. You know, and... Really, and again, I'm talking to myself here because sometimes I, I come to church and I'm just like, eh. you know, same as always. Someone asks me, hey, how are things going? And oh, they're fine, you know. But man, what better opportunity to just be like, 
things are great. And man, God's really been working in my life. And this is what he's been teaching me. And I've got this really hard thing going on here, but I'm, you know, like God is doing stuff. And why don't we proclaim God and what he's doing and his faithfulness? We, we should. That's what David is saying. I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to let people know who you are, what you've done. And he's providing a, a good example for us. On to verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Again, this is a declaration of who God is. And he says, God, I, I know that you are a God who is not going to hold back your mercy from me. You're not going to restrain it. You're, you're going to pour it out. And what kind of situations? Well, that's what verse 12 is about. He talks about evils that, that are surrounding him, but he also talks about the evil that he gets himself into. And, and really, that's kind of the two places where our troubles come from. There are troubles that, that come from people around us, from situations around us, you know, and I'm sure that you've experienced many of those things. You know, there's just hard situations that we come up against. And guess what? Those are the types of situations that this God of mercy cares about and wants to show you his steadfast love and faithfulness through those situations. But also, we bring a lot of stuff on ourselves. Because though those who have put their faith in Christ are, are washed by the blood of the Lamb, are renewed, are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we still do dumb stuff. <laughs> you know, we, we are still in these bodies that, that are affected by the curse of sin, and we have these appetites that, that draw us away from God in so many different ways. And look at how David describes it. Evil, um, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. You know, sometimes I, I get to a point where I'm just like, man, I wish I could just be done with this bad attitude or, or the sin that I continually fall into or, you know, like there just are things that aren't right in my life. And, but the cool thing is the same God of mercy who helps with problems from the outside helps from the inside too. And he gives us grace and he gives us mercy and he gives us strength through his spirit in us to change us, to make us more like himself and, and to deliver us from the stupid things that our flesh wants to do. So he's a God of faithfulness and mercy and love. And now David ends this psalm with, with a couple of prayers. Deliverance is something that is past, present, and future. We see here in the first couple verses a past experience of David's deliverance. And we get a glimpse here that he needs deliverance now. And also in the big picture, we all need deliverance from sin 
from its effects on our lives. And ultimately that deliverance comes through Christ. But God delights to help us in our lives, in our present need for deliverance. And, and this is David's prayer for whatever he's into now. He says, verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. And this is not like a, aha, David, you're awesome. This is a, aha, gotcha. And whatever situation he's in, this is one of those times where he's just going, oh, all right, God, you've delivered me. I've seen it many times. I know what you want. You want my heart in this situation. You don't want me to try and bribe you. You don't want me to try and, you know, work for this. You just, you want my heart in this situation. I know who you are. You're a God of mercy. You're faithful. You show your steadfast love. And so, help. Please deliver me. And, and here's something that's interesting. You know, at the beginning when I said, we want it now. Well, look, make haste to help me. Verse 13. Now, I think there's a good way and a bad way to say, I'd like this now. <laughs> Is it wrong to say, Lord, help me and please help me now? No, I don't think that's wrong at all. I, David does this. But is it wrong to say, Lord, help me and do it now? Yeah. Like one's a demand and one is a request. And, and to request that God would act fast is perfectly fine. I would encourage you to do it. But to demand and to say, do it now. Oh, and by the way, I'm saying you should do it now because I've been a good Christian. You know, that's where our sin nature and our pride wants to well up and we want to get out the accounting books and say, well, I've given this, 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 and this, and what have you given me? And is that a heart that is submissive and loving towards God? No, absolutely not. So David prays for his own deliverance in whatever situation he is. And he also then ends in verse 16 and 17. He says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And, and he just ends this, this psalm with... Um, a further prayer for, for all who seek after God and prays that, that all would find deliverance and all would find his faithfulness and his steadfast love and his mercy. And he prays that it would bring gladness to them, that we would love the salvation that we continually see in God and proclaim, great is the Lord. And that, that deliverance, that salvation, like I said, it's something that, that we should be able to see in our lives in the past. It's something that, that we can seek now in the present. And it's something that, that we as those who have put our faith in Christ can, can look forward to and hope in and say, 
hey, you know, whatever's going on right now, I, I take joy in the fact of knowing that, that God is in control overall. And, and my salvation, my destiny with him in heaven is secure. And the fact that he wins in the end is secure. And, and he will deliver in the big sense of the word. And so great is the Lord. May all of us continually proclaim that. And then a humble recognition, I, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. And this is something that's mentioned a, a couple of times. In, in verse one, it talks about how uh, God hears him. In verse five, it talks about how um, God's thoughts are toward us. In verse six, it says that he, he has an open ear to us. This is a God who cares. This is a God who is inclined to hear us and to be moved to work. It may not always look exactly like we want it to, but God is a God who shows mercy and who delivers. And again, you know, David says, don't delay. Please bring it now. And I hope that, you know, as, as we reflect on this psalm and as we go through our lives, that that, that is our prayer, is that we would be able to, uh, to rejoice in who God is, to be able to see his work in our lives and, and to be able to say, you are my deliverer. You know, you've been faithful. I've had some hard stuff. I might be right in the middle of something just horrendous. But guess what? For those who trust in the Lord, he's bringing you through that. And it's not just an isolated thing. It's something that we as believers ought to encourage one another with and help with too. Part of the deliverance that, that God brings in some situations is brought through brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're not off the hook. Yes, God is the deliverer. But sometimes you're the delivery man or woman who gets the package and delivers it to somebody. So we serve a great God who loves to deliver his people. And that's what this psalm is about. It's David's proclamation of who God is, his uh, commitment to tell it to everybody. I serve a God who delivers and to encourage us to, uh, to put our hope and to put our trust in this great God who, who loves to be our deliverer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to look at this psalm. And I hope that um, we've been challenged and encouraged. And I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you that through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, we can have salvation. I thank you that it's not just up to me. It's not a list of my own good works that, that makes me worthy because that, that would fail. It would fail miserably. So Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that through him, we can be in relationship with you. We thank you that through him, 
your ear is open to us and your heart is inclined to us. So Lord, keep us faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to each other, to help each other in times of need, to pray for each other. And Lord, help us to always worship you and proclaim the goodness of who you are. You are our rescuer. You are our deliverer. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.